Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we? Everybody doing all right? Awesome, good. It is great to be with you. Great to be in the house of the Lord together with you to worship him, to open his word and see what God has for us this morning. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to open God's word. We're going to see what he has for us this morning. Now, before we do that, um, I think most, probably, probably most everybody in the room has, has met my amazing, beautiful wife and my two awesome children, uh, Lane and Drew. They're amazing. Um, but there's one member of our family that you may or may not have, have met. I'm going to, I got a picture for you up on the screen. Oh, look at that guy. I know, isn't that sweet? That's sweet. That's Riley. Riley was uh, what my wife would say, our first child. He is um, our most obedient child. Um, <laughs> Eddie Q, we got him when he was six weeks old. And, and, and he is, we got him back when we were in Fort Worth. And one of the things that, that we did when, when Riley was a little guy is we would, we'd go on walks. You know, we didn't have kids at that time, so we, had a, we, had, we could go for a walk. You, met, you remember those days? So we, yeah, we could go for a walk, and I would take Riley for, this, for a walk, and we lived in Fort Worth, and Trinity River flows through Fort Worth, and, and it, was, it was very often that we would take him on a long walk down the Trinity River, and we'd go down to the water, and you know, he's a lab. He's half lab, half golden retriever, and I thought, well, you know, labs love the water. And so I thought, for sure, you know, he's gonna wanna be He's going to want to jump in the water and swim. And it was always so funny because when he was really, really little, he'd get close to the water and he'd put his little paw in the water and then he would back up, you know, he'd back up and he'd do it again. He'd put his little paw in the water and then he'd back up and, until one day, one day Riley had 15 seconds of courage. And I mean, he dove out in the middle of that water, landed belly right in the middle of it and he's never been the same. I've got another picture for you. There he is. That right there is Riley's happy place. Riley, is, he's never been more happy than when he has a tennis ball in his mouth and he's in the water. He loves the water. So when we moved, when we moved to Belton, being near the lake was Riley's dream. It's Riley's dream. He loves the water. So here's, here's my point that I want to, the reason why I even tell you this story. The reason being is because today we're going to be talking about the grace and mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. And in a room this size, there's many of you who are here this morning, and we have all different backgrounds, walks of life, lives, uh, places we've been. We all have our own stories. Um, but my hope is, is that when we leave here today, you will have dove into the grace and the mercy of God. And Lord willing, no matter where you are, you'll never be the same. So that's been my prayer for you all week. As I'm thinking through and I'm praying through, Lord, what is it that you want me to say to this people? To all, a thousand, all thousand of you, what do you want me to say? That's, what, that's it. I want you more than anything, I just want you to dive into the mercy and the grace of God this morning. And I want you to walk away satisfied, encouraged. Maybe somebody in the room needs to be encouraged. Because here's the deal. When it comes to God's grace, it's kind of tough, isn't it? Our whole lives are built on performance and what we can earn. You know, when you go to kindergarten, you got to color in the lines. 
You want to get to first grade, you got to color in the lines. When you get to first grade, you got to learn how to read to get to second grade. When you get to high school, you got to make the grades to get into the college that you want to get into. Right? You got to make grades in college to graduate. You got to earn that degree so you can get the job that you want, that you hope to have. You got to work hard in your job to to, to get that promotion, to earn the trust and the approval of your supervisor, right? To get the next job, to get the promotion. Everything in our lives you have to earn. Guys, when you saw your spouse that, that God graciously gave to you, you saw her across the lunchroom maybe, maybe it was in college, you had to earn her favor. You had to court her, you had to date her, you had to earn her trust, you had to earn her favor. Everything in our lives you have to to earn everything. So when it comes to God's grace, the free, unmerited favor of God, we don't know what to do with that. You know, maybe some of you in the room this morning, you can think back on your, on your story. Maybe you grew up in a home that didn't know anything, but, any, anything about grace or mercy. Maybe you had a father who was harsh, was tough, who had standards that you could never meet. Maybe on the other hand, maybe there's some of you in the room who had a, an amazing dad who loved you, who cared for you, who was just filled with grace and mercy. Maybe some of you in the room grew up in churches that didn't know anything, they didn't teach grace or mercy that was not something that was a part of, of, of what they taught you and what they championed. And maybe, maybe that's pushed you away from the Lord. Maybe it made you mad at God. And maybe you're even here this morning and you're only here because this is what you're supposed to do because you're a Christian. But really, deep down inside, there's a wound in there that has pressed against you, has pushed you, and you find yourself frustrated, angry. Never, it seems like you just can never gain the approval of God. Or maybe you grew up in a home where that was the same, same way, where nothing that you could do, you could never find yourself in a place where you got your dad or your mom or your grandparents' approval. So we all have different stories, don't we? And we all bring that to this place this morning. And so what I want to do, something crazy, I'm going to go away from my notes because the Lord's just working heavily on my heart this morning with God's grace and mercy. And I want us just to open up God's word. I don't have any points for you. So my A-type people in the room, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have any points for you this morning. You'll have to bear with me. It's just going to be me, you, and God's word. So here's what we're going to do. Meet me in Luke 15. Me, you, and God's word. Is that all right? Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable. It's a really good parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe many of you have have heard of this story. You've probably read it growing up. But there's some important things that I want to show you this morning that I think, again, are going to help us dive into the grace and the mercy of God, Maybe maybe like never before. So here we go. This is Jesus. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so the father divided his property between them. 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. You know, in this story, it's got two scenes. The first scene is the story of the younger brother. We know that story well, but there's another scene in this story of the elder brother, and we're going to talk about both of those this morning, but it's important for you to hear as we talk through the scene number one is that the younger son comes to the father and he says, Father, I know that at some point you're going to die, and I know that when that day comes, you're going to hand me my inheritance. And so, Father, instead of waiting until you die, why not give that to me now? Now, understand what the son is asking of the father. He's asking two things. The first thing that he's asking is he says, hey, listen, dad, if I'm really honest, I really don't have any need for you. I really don't have any need for you, and so I want my inheritance now. The second thing that the son is communicating to the father is really that he wants the money that the father has more than he wants the father. God, Dad, I just want my inheritance now. I really don't need you. I I know how to do my life better than you do, and so why don't you go ahead and give me what you owe me now, and and I'm gonna run my life the way that I wanna run my life. But as the story proceeds, here's what happens. Jesus tells us that as the boy takes his inheritance, the father graciously, for whatever reason, the the father graciously gives him what he asks for, which by the way, sometimes the the grace and the mercy of God is that God gives us what we ask for. And the son happily takes that and he takes off and the text tells us that he wastes it. He blows the inheritance, everything that the father has given him, his life savings, he gives to his son and his son goes and blows it on reckless living. And he finds himself in a little bit of a predicament. Verse 14 says that when he had spent everything, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. You know, it's in the place of need where God teaches us his grace and mercy. It's in that moment of need where God teaches us best our desperate need for his grace and mercy. I've got a question I wanna ask you this morning. Have you ever been in that place of the prodigal son? And maybe that's that you're wandering far, far away from God. Maybe this morning you're just, I mean, you're running in rebellion to God, against God. You're just, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna run in this direction. I'm gonna run as hard as I can. Or maybe it's like the prodigal son in that, Lord, I really don't need you. I can do life on my own. Or maybe you're in the place this morning where if we're really, really honest, there's a lot of things in your life that you want more than you want of God. In fact, let's just ask that question. What is, if, if, if we were honest this morning, What is the one thing that you could honestly say that I want more of than God? What's that one thing, maybe a couple different things that 
that if we were just really, really honest, that you would say, man, I, if I only had this, maybe it's power. Oh, maybe it's control. Maybe it's authority. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's that house. Maybe it's that retirement account. Maybe it's obedient children. What is it that you long for more than God? See, when we forget our need of him, when we forget our need of him, our lives are absent of grace and mercy. When we forget our need of him, our lives are absent of grace and mercy. You know, this week was a tough week for our country yet again. You know, as I watched the news, obviously the shooting, and, and, and it's not so much the shooting that bothered me, although it is. I think what bothers me the most is this political squandering that we're doing. Point and blame. Well, if we just got rid of guns, well, if we would just do this, if we would just do this. No, what we need more than anything, y'all, right now is to understand how desperately wicked we are. Like getting rid of guns is not gonna solve a heart problem. What you and I have more than anything, our biggest problem, our greatest need is the fact that we are helplessly and hopelessly wicked. And that's not, that doesn't just apply to people outside of this, these walls. It's not a them problem, it's an us problem. Because if we're honest, I think even the people who are, who are, who are worshiping the Lord in four walls right now on a Sunday all across this country have forgotten our desperate need of God's grace and mercy. To be honest, last, last week we talked about God's justice and his goodness. Remember that? I don't think we realize how truly wicked we really are, that when we hear Romans 3.23, we think that is for somebody who is outside of Christ. But guys, that is, that is applicable to you and to me. Romans 3.23 is still applicable to us even in this room. That's not to say that we are not capable of, of good things. We are. We are capable of great things. We're capable of doing good things, but even the good that we do is still tainted and is still polluted by wickedness. And the day that we forget that, the day that we forget that we are not desperately in need of God's goodness and his grace to us is the day that we fail. Our country is desperately in need of God's grace. We're desperately in need of God's mercy. We're desperately in need of God to intervene. And so are you. This morning, I want you to hear this because I think this is just so important. You in this room are so desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. And you can't forget that. When we forget that, we fail to worship. What you're gonna see in this story is that, you, is that 
the prodigal son has reached a, a point where he, he's reached the, what we might consider the bottom of the barrel. Anybody ever been there? You've been to the bottom of the barrel? A few of you? See, that's, a, that's the problem. Do you see the problem with that? Is that we think we're at the top of the barrel when we're at the bottom. See, the, the, the truth of what this is teaching us is that really each and every day, you and I are at the bottom of the barrel ho- hopelessly in desperate need of somebody to come and bring us up to the top of the barrel. And what we might think that at this point he's at the bottom of the barrel, it only gets worse. See, in verse 15, here's what it says. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Notice that he went out to hire himself. He still hadn't reached the bottom of the barrel. So he goes and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And hear this, this is the bottom of the barrel. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate because no one gave him anything. See, we have this idea that somehow or another that we can fix our problem. If I just pick myself up by my bootstraps, if I just work harder, and believe me, I'm telling myself this. If I just work harder, if I just do more, if I just add more to my plate, all the while God is saying, hey, listen, you're at the bottom of the barrel and there's no way out. You're hopeless. And it's in that hopeless situation that we can finally see the light and we can see, see that the hope or the light, the, uh, the hope of God is dawning upon us and we can there, that, that's the only time we're in the place where we can truly reach up and grasp a hold of God's grace and mercy. And so for you who is still trying to prove that to your dad that you can still do it, that you're worth it, you're not worth it. It's only by God's grace that you and I are worth it. It's his unmerited favor. That's what this story teaches us. It's at the bottom of the barrel that we can finally reach up and experience God's goodness and his grace to us. Verse 17. So then he comes to himself. The text says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I hear, here I am perishing with hunger until I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You know, there's that point where he gets to the lowest of the lows. He's I mean, can you imagine being to a point where you're so desperate that you're jealous of pigs? Can you imagine being in that point? That's where he's at. And he thinks back and he's like, man, gosh, I remember my father's servants. Boy, they had it good. They weren't begging for the slop of pigs. They had everything that they ever could want or need. And so what does he do? He starts thinking, well, maybe I can work my way back. Maybe I'll work my way back home and, and maybe, if I, maybe if I plead with my dad, maybe then he'll let me in. Maybe he'll let me back in. And so, so he does that. He, he begins that long journey home. Can you imagine that long journey home? 
I mean, what would you say? What would you say if you communicated to your dad that I want, I want your money more than I want you? I want my freedom more than I want to live under your authority. And not to mention that you blew it. You wasted it all. What would you say? And so he begins that long journey home, up one hill, down the next, up another hill, down the next, and there he finds himself on that last hill, and he looks out over this landscape. I'm sure it's a beautiful landscape. He looks over the beautiful landscape, and there he sees his dad's home, and on the front porch, there's dad. And there's got to be that moment in his gut where he thinks, is dad going to get up from that rocking chair and walk inside and slam the door in anger and frustration? It's probably what I would have done. What would you have done? But that's not what happens, is it? That's not what happens. See, if you keep reading the story, verse 20 says, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. The father didn't wait for him to come to him. He went to his son. But he didn't just walk. He ran. He took off running. You might picture an older man running to greet his son. He sees him out on the hill for a long, long way off and he takes off running and he runs as fast as he can. His sandals flying everywhere. By the way, in the culture of that day, you never ran. It was dishonoring, so you'd never do that. So he pushes away the cultural norms all to run and to embrace his son. As soon as dad gets there, son's muddling for words. Dad, I'm sorry. I, I know I blow it. I know I blew it. I lost the inheritance. I'm sorry, I'm no longer worthy of your son. He doesn't even give him the chance to get his words out. Before he embraces him, he pulls him into his arms. And in that moment, we're forced to ask the question, what was it that he deserved? Was it compassion or was it anger? And we're talking about the justice of God. The justice of God would demand that that son be punished for what he had done. But rather than punishing his son, the father embraces him. He brings him in. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't say, son, why, why are your clothes torn? Why are you so muddy? Why do you smell so awful? But rather he gives him a ring a signet ring that says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. He says to the servants, he said, hey, listen, I want you to go grab the best robe. So they go and they grab the best robe and they clothe, he clothes the rags of his son with his very own robe. I want you to hear very clearly this morning that when you were at your worst, where you st- dunk of, of a pig pen 
when you were in your rags, when you were dirty, at your absolute worst, God sent Jesus for you. And he sent him for me so that he could clothe you in his righteousness. So that you would no longer have to perform You would no longer have to seek after the favor of your dad. You would no longer have to seek after the favor of God because you can't get it anyway. And so he comes to you, he runs to you, and he doesn't wait for you to repent. He doesn't wait for you to say sorry. He simply clothes you with the righteousness of his son so that you can stand as a son or daughter and hear the words, I love you. You know, maybe some of you have a wayward son or a wayward daughter this morning. Or maybe you are that wayward son or that wayward daughter this morning. Maybe spiritually or physically. And I want you to hear this morning that your heavenly father, your heavenly father loves you deeply. And he is pursuing you And he longs for your heart far more than your obedience, far more than what you can offer him, far more than anything that you could ever bring to the table. He simply wants your heart. He wants to take that heart and he wants to transform it so that it will beat for him, so that you will long for him, so that you will no longer say like the prodigal son, Father, I want what you have, but I don't want you. He wants your heart, he wants to transform it so that you'll no longer say, I can do life on my own. Listen, why does it have to take us to get to the bottom of the barrel? Why is it that it's always our last resort to go to God, to run to him, to recognize our desperate need of him? I think, I think it's again, it's, it's because we just don't know how desperately needy we are, that we truly are the prodigal son. And we chalk this up to think the prodigal son is just the person out there who is doing all the sinful things and blah, 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 blah. But really, it's also the person who lives their life self-sufficient apart from God. I want you to hear this morning that it is God's mercy to save you but it's God's grace to sustain you. It was God's mercy, it was the Father's mercy to welcome the prodigal son home. See, mercy is us not getting what we deserve. What that son deserved was for that father to look at him and say, I don't know you, you're not my son. You blew everything that I have, everything that I gave you, you blew it. But it was the Father's mercy to look upon the Son, to have compassion upon Him, and to welcome Him home. That was God's mercy. But here's God's grace. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and to put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And hear this, 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. It's God's mercy that you and I don't get what we deserve. It is God's grace that he extends his unmerited favor upon you and me. It's God's grace that he would celebrate the day that you and I would finally realize that we are hopeless apart from him and that we would run to him. Not just in salvation, which is also true, but every moment of our lives. Do you recognize your need for him and does your life demonstrate that? Would you say that you are living in self-dependence upon God right now? Could it be that the anxiety, the fear, the depression that so many of us are walking in right now is because we're standing at the base of a mountain looking up at the peak, thinking how in the world am I gonna get there all the while recognizing that it's not gonna be you that gets you there, but it's God's grace that's gonna get you up to the top of the mountain. Could it be that you're looking at that diagnosis thinking, how am I gonna defeat this? Forgetting that it is not gonna be you that defeats that disease. It's gonna be God. Could it be that maybe you're like us where we're looking at these two children that God has graciously given us and we're thinking, how in the world are we gonna raise them up in this world? To love the Lord, to love people. How are we gonna do that? All the while recognizing that the stress that we've placed on ourselves is because we're trying to do it. When it's God who's gonna do it. We are desperately in need of God's mercy that he would not give us what we deserve, but we're also desperately in need of God's grace, his unmerited favor that in spite of you and me, God blesses and sets his favor upon his children. The fact that God would allow me to get up here and preach to you every single week is a testimony to God's grace. If you knew me, if you hung out with me for one day, you would know that I am not qualified to be here. And yet it is God's grace in spite of me that uses me to be this vessel, this broken vessel that I am to proclaim to you the truth that God sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you, and he's gone so far as to send his son Jesus to have him tortured, whipped, beaten, and hung on a cross all to prove it to you. So that every day you would stand at that mountain and go, hey, I can't do this. And I don't have to. Because God came down from the mountain, threw you on his back, and is carrying you up the mountain. It's how we walk in it. We walk on it, but, but we can't walk in God's grace unless we know who we are and where we've come from and seen our desperate need of him. And there's even some people in the room right now who are saying, yeah, 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 I get that, but I'm still gonna do life on my own. And yet, you're gonna be miserable. You're gonna be filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with depression, all because you won't just move it across the table and say, God, here I am. Do as you please. 
Teach me your grace. Teach me your mercy. Help me to walk in it. And here's the deal. Here's what happens when you do that. You experience this thing called peace. And you know, I realized every self-help book on Barnes, Barnes and Noble's shelf, you know what it, all of it is really after? It's all after peace. That's really what we long for, right? Like that deep inner tranquility, that deep centered peace. That's what we really want, isn't it? And would you disagree that that's not what we truly long for in our lives? And yet it's available to you at the foot of the cross. And yet day in and day out, we forget. We forget. See, that's what happens to the elder son. We talked about the prodigal son. Let's talk about scene number two because here's what happens, right? He forgets the grace and the mercy that is available to him. Here's, here, read it with me. Verse 25, now the older son was in the field and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and he asked, what are, the, what are these things meant? And here's what the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And notice, he was angry. Why was he angry? Because he was jealous. And his father came out and entreated him. That means to, he pleaded with him. The father comes out and he pleads with the older son. He says, no, come in. Come join us, man. This is great. The party's great. The food's wonderful. It's amazing. Come and join. See your brother. But he answered his father. He says, Look at all these years that I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a goat that I may celebrate with my friends. Oh, but this son of yours, he comes, he comes home, he's devoured your property with prostitutes, and yet you kill the fattened calf for him. See, the elder son had forgotten the grace and the mercy of God. He had forgotten his desperate need for them. And here, here's an important word. He became entitled to the grace and mercy of God. See, when we forget our need, we become entitled. We think it's something that we have earned, that we deserve. But remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul tells us, he says that grace is undeserved. There's nothing that you can earn it. There's not an amount of money that you can have to purchase it. There's no amount of works. There's no amount of yes, ma'ams, no sirs. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It is purely unmerited favor of God. And listen, what you didn't earn, you can't lose. You can't lose what you don't earn. You can't lose God's grace because you never earned it. It is his unmerited favor upon your life and you will never truly embrace it or understand it until you recognize your helpless need for him. And that's on the other side of salvation. It's on the other side of salvation. The eldest son had forgotten his hopeless situation, that he was desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten God's grace and his mercy that is available to you, that's extended to you in the cross and in an empty grave? You know, David reminds us 
David reminds us in Psalm 103, verses two through four, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy all the day long. He says in Psalm 86, 15, he says, bless you, O Lord, for you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jeremiah would agree. Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations, chapter three, verses 22 through 24. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning for great is your faithfulness. And listen to what he says in verse 24. He says, for the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Did he say that therefore I will hope in myself? No. He says, therefore, I will hope in you. Is the Lord your portion? Who is it that you're finding your hope in? I love what the father responds back to the, to the elder son. In verse 31, here's what he says. He said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. You're always with me. All that I have is yours. I want you to hear this morning that if you're in the place where you find yourself frustrated because I've got perfect attendance in Sunday school. I do all the right things, I say all the right things. I want you to hear me this morning. God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And his grace is available to you. It's a reminder to say, I'm always with you. All that I have is available to you. Now, who's gonna walk out of here this morning Who's going to walk out of here this morning thinking that you can do it on your own? My prayer, my hope this morning has been that you walk out of here this morning and you dive into the grace, into the mercy of God. That you would swim in his grace and his mercy and that you wouldn't attempt to try to do life on your own because you can't. That you wouldn't try to fix everything in your life because you can't. It's only by God's grace and his mercy that you and I have any hope at all. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us that you would give Jesus as a sign of your love that when we were far from you, God, you didn't wait for us to come to you, but rather you came to us. You threw us over your back and you carried us up the mountain God, how great you are, how great is your steadfast love and your faithfulness to us, that while we don't deserve it, you forgive our sin and you extend your unmerited favor and grace to us this morning. Lord, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org. 
or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.